All right. Thank you, Joseph. How's everybody doing? Good. Oh, yay. All right. I didn't know you were doing that good. Um, glad. Uh, so I'm not on social media, but I would imagine this week has been just a wall of angst and anger and bitterness and hatred and fear. Am I touching on that? Is that, is that how it is? Um, and so there's a lot going on out there and here and here. Um, and so I, this morning's a little different. I know it's, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you um, who, who are moms or, um, and uh, like he said, call your mom today. Um, I don't do Mother's Day sermons. I just keep going with the text. And so I'm a, a little nervous right now because I, I want to speak to this for a few minutes. Um, I have a normal sermon coming up in a second. I would like five, five or ten minutes um, to help you sort of get some perspective and about the pro-life, pro-choice issues, the battles that are raging right now. Um, so I'm going to pray, and it feels a little heavy. It's, I'm, I'll keep it light, don't worry, um, but it's a heavy topic. But um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to... Uh, five or ten minutes on this topic for a second and give you some perspective that, that perhaps um, you've, you've not been thinking about. And then um, we're going to talk about prayer. I have, I'm working on, I have a book due on, uh, and talk about any of this stuff, but I have a book due in, uh, in June on the I Am Statements of Jesus. I'm, I'm writing it with, um, with Scott McKnight from Northern Seminary, and it's due in three weeks. And so that's where most of my focus is, and it's, I'm writing it with you guys in mind. And I told them, I'm sort of like, I'm writing this to my people. Um, this is what they need, uh, I think, to read and to hear and to see. And so I'm working on that. So I don't have a lot of time this month for deep sort of contextual historical dive in the book of Acts. And so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on things for the next two or three weeks that I have not talked on in really a couple of years. I realized the other day I haven't talked on prayer in about two and a half years, and that's unacceptable. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks here uh, in prayer, and then um, perhaps... We'll get there in two weeks, so I'll tell you what else we're going to do. Um, but for now, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Spirit to be present with us, and I want to just give me five or ten minutes to talk and give some perspective. Um, and, and then uh, we'll talk about prayer, shall we? Can we do that? And I do ask that you just try to be gracious and generous you know, as you listen. Try to receive it. Just think about it. I, I don't expect a, a room like this of people to agree. Historically, Watermark is not a place where people agree. That's kind of our shtick kind of what we do. Sometimes it goes great. Sometimes it goes really bad. Um, and in moments like this, it has potential to go really bad. So as a pastor, I, I want to sort of guide the sheep for a second. So let's pray. Father, join us. Be with us. Send your spirit to guide us and speak to us. And uh, I pray that you would be obvious and present here this morning, that you would begin to... Um, reveal your kingdom, we begin to reveal what you're doing in the lives of, of, of those in this room, my brothers and sisters here. I pray that in times like this that we would grow in unity, not bitterness, not anger. I pray that we would become more Christian and less American. I pray that we would become um, images and, and idols of you in this world for people to look at and say, oh, that is what Jesus looks like. I pray that we would be that. And so I pray that you would be with us now, speak through me. Um, calm us, give us peace, give us love for each other, and uh, thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Okay, so let me step in it. Um, 
I'm going to start by, by talking about sort of the issue at hand. One of the most important things I think that Christians need to do is spend some time unwinding their ideologies. We have to do this because the world is constantly winding you up, especially if you're on things like social media. Um, and so I want to help you sort of locate that and begin to unwind it. Um, like I mentioned last week, I, I want to put a, a, a quote up for you here. Um, a belief that requires nothing of you is not a belief. It's an ideology. You have to remember this. The, the world is, is holding things up and demanding you take a side and hate and fight. But they are not asking you to do anything other than to yell and scream and vote. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with yelling or screaming or voting. It has everything to do with, with a people becoming Christ-like in the midst of a world that is doing all those things, that they can look at us and say, well, why aren't they involved? What are they doing? Why, why, does their play, why do they seem so different? Why, does, why are they um, in the midst of it all? Why don't they hate the way we hate? Why don't they engage the same way we engage? We are different. We are called to be different. Um, ideologies play no part in your spiritual formation. They ask nothing of you. They don't ask you to talk to anybody, build relationships with anybody. They don't ask you to understand or listen to anybody. Um, they don't form you in the image of Christ. They play no part in your discipleship as it requires absolutely nothing of you to feel like you are right. You cannot do anything at all and you can say something and feel super right. And it's all a lie. People regularly ask me, is this right or is this wrong or can I support this or can I not support this? Is it, am, are Christians on the side of this movement or that movement? What is it? What do we do? Um, is this position or is that position the Christian positions? And I will say two things about all of this. First off, stop talking about support. Stop talking about support for um, ideologies and start talking about care for. Um, support today has become, you know, people say, I support this, I support that, I support this, I don't support that. Support has become just like the word literally, which literally has no meaning now. Uh, and, and this is how we use it. It means nothing more to support something today in, in your generation. All it means is a Facebook post and a vote and a lot of yelling and screaming and separation. And that's what it's referring to when they talk about support. Care for is different. It makes it about people, not issues. This is a huge difference. Your support for anything should be birthed out, birthed out, of, out of two things. And, and by the way, your support for anything, political, whatever, should never be birthed out of and should never grow out of radio talk show points, powerful politicians and their marketing strategies, talking points from any of them. It should not grow out of um, even, even from anything your pastor says, nothing that your favorite celebrity speaker says, your view of these things does not come from any of these people. It doesn't. You can shut them all down and ignore them all because what we need to do is to begin to understand that our support for things comes from Jesus and who he is and how we view others. Our, our view of the world should be looking through the eyes of Christ at everyone and their suffering and their pain and the difficulties with which they are living. And so have you ever asked yourself, probably not though, have you ever asked yourself on any topic that you're debating over or, or changing your mind on or thinking about or not sure what to do, have you ever actually asked yourself if the earliest Christians would have agreed with you? Would they have agreed with you? Did they take part in this thing? So we can talk about things like, like abortion. And, and here's the thing. I know 
very few of you have the same view of the early church. If any of you. If any of us. Because we've never stopped to ask what the early followers of Jesus were doing and why they did what they did and how they interacted with these things. Did they, did they take part in abortion or did they not? Why or why not? Did they believe in using Roman authority to, to, to wield the sword and lock people up or force them to, to, into morality? Why or why not? What did the early church do? These early first followers, the first generations of the people who knew Jesus and walked with him. Why aren't we asking any of these questions? Because when we ask these questions, everyone loses power. Nobody cares. What they want from you is power. Shun it. Shut it down. Um, have you asked more questions about what celebrity Christians think about topics like this today than what the early church fathers thought of it? Probably. Pick your favorite author, your favorite theologian, your favorite pastor. What do they say? They probably agree with you. and You knew that. That's why you've been following them for so long. Have you ever stopped to ask the questions about what did the early church do? What did these, what did, what would Paul have thought about something like this? Um, your understanding and whether or not you support or your, your construct of these things, the, the way you view these things should come from two things. Your understanding of who Jesus is and how Jesus moved through this world. And second, it should come from your relationship with those in the bottom of the situation which you were thinking about and talking about. We form our views of things in relationship with God and people. And always, if we're trying to be Christ-like, the people at the bottom, always, if you want to form a view, a politic of everything from the rights of minorities to abortion to LGBT inclusion to all of it. You don't start at the top. You don't start, you don't start with the powerful people and the pastors and the politicians and the celebrities and the musicians and the Twitter pundits. And the, you don't start there. You start with the Spirit of God. You start with Jesus. You start with the early church. You start by gathering your group of, of, of the, the body of Christ together and talking and asking stories and admitting, I don't know, I don't know what to do, and ask the Spirit of God to come and guide you. This is how this works. We don't approach things like this by screaming and yelling at each other. And the reason I'm doing this today is I want to stop this before it comes into this church and begins to divide people, because this is what happens over and over and over again. People get radicalized on the internet and they drag it into the church and they separate each other. If I had my way, I would, I would snap my fingers and, and delete all the social media that you're all on because it's, it's radicalizing people. Being a pastor, I have a lot of stories that I simply just can't talk about, but that would likely hit you right in the ideology, I swear. Um, ideology is so easy until you sit with a young mother who's, who's a young mother with a, with, with a husband and, and children who is just finding out that, that, that her baby, true story, that, that her baby is growing with the brain outside of the body and that it's fine and it's happy, but when this child is born, it's gonna rip the baby apart and kill it. 
And then you find out that she comes to you and she says, oh, by the way, I'm past the point of doing anything about this and I'm gonna flee to another state and my family is all disowning me because we're heavily on one side of an ideology. And the ideology is tearing the family apart. More so than the spirit of God can keep the family apart. What keeps us together is not our ideologies. It's the body and blood of Christ. It's what we just did. It's that. Body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. And, I mean, that's one story of hundreds of people sitting near you in this room. And when your political ideology, it it does not, it cannot take the place of following the spirit of God within you to respond in wisdom and Christ-likeness. That's what we're after. Wisdom and Christ-likeness. What is the wise thing to do here? What is the Christ-like thing to do here? There may not be a right, easy answer, but there may be a wise answer and there may be a Christ-like answer. And it's never easy. Submission to the spirit. That's the Christian position. Submission to the spirit guiding through the body. We get together and we pray and we lay it out on the table and we ask each other, to, we ask God to speak to us through each other and to help us come to a conclusion that, as Paul would say, it seems good to us and the Spirit. There are many impossible situations that women in this very room have been through. They hear the way you talk about them and the women like them. They hear the way you paint them up like monsters. And my request as your pastor is that you don't drag that stuff, those pagan battles, satanic battles, into this church. This type of judgmental posture over each other, it creates exactly the kind of of church that I've always tried to avoid having. Always. I won't attend a church like that. Um, A church that, what I would say, conforms to the patterns of the world, as Paul would say in Romans 12. A church that does exactly what the world does and separates people based upon political objectives and ideologies. That is a church that ensures that nobody's ever really known, nobody's ever really honest. Nobody can be who they are and and talk about what they're going through. And we all end up hiding from each other. That's not a church. That's a capitalistic endeavor. That's a consumeristic endeavor. If we can't be honest in the church, then there's no place in the world that we can be honest. This is the only place. This is it. And as far as I am concerned, I have no judgment over you before I I build a relationship with you. It is not my job to look at you and to size you up and down and make all these judgments about whether you're right or wrong and all the things that need to change in your life. I don't know what God wants to do in your life. And the only way I can ever know what God wants to do in your life is to build a relationship with you that transforms both of us. This is it. We can't just keep looking people up and down, asking them a couple questions, putting them in a box, and ejecting them out of the room. It doesn't work this way. It never has. Not in the body of Christ. That's how it worked in Rome, and that's how it works in the empire of America. But it's not how it works in the church. The empire ends at that door. There is no, Christian, there is no American flag in this room, and I will never have one in here because that is not what we are. We're not taking part in any of that. So to my sisters in the room, I don't know what you've been through. I know what some of you have been through. I don't, I don't know what all of you have been through. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know about your fears. I just want to say, I, Tommy, have no condemnation for you. I have so much condemnation for myself. 
and the things that I know about that I have done, but not you. I don't have condemnation for you. All I offer you is an invitation to try and build a community with us that is honest, where people can be heard, people can be seen, and respected and loved towards Jesus. That's all I've got. Let's talk about prayer. It's been an emotional morning for some reason. I don't even know why. Every conversation I have, I'm just like, ah. So this could go good and this could go bad. I probably already lost half of you. I love all of you. I really do. I don't, I don't want to see divisions anymore in this place. There's no reason for it. We can work through these things together. We can be a kingdom right here in this room. Some of that's going to come out this morning. Let's talk about prayer. What role does prayer play in your life, if any? Does prayer play any role at all in your life? As you go throughout your day, did you wake up this morning? Did you say any prayers? What is it? What role does prayer play? For many, prayer works in the same way as a cup of coffee works in the morning. Uh, or an energy drink. It's just kind of, I have a big thing coming up and I'm really nervous and so I pray about it, right? And it's meant to just sort of launch you into your day. I have all these goals, I gotta get through them and so I need a cup of coffee and I need a prayer. And, and so we kind of use it as a jolt, as a push, as, a, as a, a, a thing to sort of launch us into getting the things that we wanna get, accomplishing the things that we feel like we need to accomplish and prayer is sort of this support thing like a crutch that we, we sort of use here and there. Um, and we pray for a good night's rest. We pray for the, the last drops of gas to get us to the gas station or the best parking spot or, or promotion or a house offer to be accepted. And we pray for these things. And this is what we do. But rarely do we actually stop to ask some very, very important questions. There are a lot of questions we need to ask about prayer. There are a lot of questions we need to ask about everything. Here's some questions about prayer that I have. How does, your prayer, li- how does prayer life, how does our prayer life form us? Because how you pray will impact the way you think of Jesus. It will impact the way you think of God. It will impact the way you think of others. It will impact the way you think of your hopes and dreams and your career. It will impact a lot of that stuff. Um, are we cultivating a view of God that is here to support our mission? Like a cup of coffee. Is that what we're doing? Is that how we're using prayer? It's possible. A lot of us do this a lot. We'll talk a little bit about that. The second question I have is, are our plans in line with God's plan for the world? In all of your waking up, big day, got to pray, got to pray for all this, get some strength to move forward, did you actually ask, did, did, you, did, you, did you ask any questions in your prayer about what, what God is actually doing with your day? About whether or not this thing you're pursuing is actually for you at all? Or whether or not God's about to shoot that right out of your life because it would make you the worst person ever? Do you care? Or do you go to God to try to coax God to get on your side for your mission? Um, in other words, does prayer form you at all? Did we, did we form our view of life, our daily rituals, our pursuits by spending time with Jesus? Or did we just default to culture and accept their pursuits as our own? The things that they told us we should be doing with our time and with our life. Did we just default to culture and say, okay, and I'll, I'll pray to ask God to help me accomplish these things? Have you ever actually taken it apart and looked at it, unwound any of it? And lastly, are you at all being, being formed by your prayers? Do our prayers attempt to form us, or are we attempting to form God with our prayers? Oftentimes, I would argue that it's the latter. 
We're attempting to form God. Um, do our prayers draw us towards God's future or our future? Or does it attempt to sort of, again, buttress what we are trying to do in our day? And what is prayer? So let's, uh, let's talk about this. Gosh, I feel like I just need to stop and pray one more time. I'm going to. If you want to join me, go ahead. Father. Father, teach us to pray. Teach us a prayer life that will prepare us for everything the world throws at us. A, a, a life that will prepare our lives and make them fertile ground for your kingdom to just sprout up through the whole thing. Help us to see each other differently. Help us to hear each other and receive each other without judgment. And may we submit to each other and let you speak through the other to us regularly. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Okay. How you or anyone else thinks uh, throughout... Okay, hold on a second. How you or anyone else thinks about about prayer is, is, is usually based upon the context in which you are raised. We are all, there's lots, uh, Christianity is very big, very wide, um, and there are lots of sort of models that people have used from traditions that they've come through, um, and I like to explore all of them, and we're going to talk about, next week we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different modes of prayer. I want to offer you some things that you can take and practice that I think will really help shape and form your prayer life um, in a really sort of pastoral way. But I want to talk about two forms of prayer that we see a lot that I grew up seeing um, and they come from sort of different sides of the spectrum. The first one I want to talk about, and, and um, these I think I mostly learned from uh, people like uh, N.T. Wright, um, um, and oh, my favorite, Richard Foster wrote this book on prayer years ago. Richard Foster wrote one of my favorite books of all time, which is called A Celebration of Discipline. Um, I read that book so many times, I named my, my last son Pilgrim Foster. His middle name is Foster, after Richard Foster, who wrote this book because it impacted me so much. So if I could... Get you to read anything. Richard Foster's book, um, A Celebration of Discipline. I think we may have one in the lobby if you want to check it out. Um, but anyways, um, the first one I want to talk to you about, the first mode of prayer that we have is called pagan prayer. Um, the best way to describe pagan prayer is it represents sort of calling out across the void. You're trying to get God's attention. You're trying to say, God, do you, do you see this? Can you see it? Um, what do I do? Can you intervene? It's, it's reaching out very far. It's like calling across to this distant deity who's way out there. And, and the human being tries to invoke or placate or even cajole or bribe um, whatever God that they believe in and worship uh, to bend down and sort of hear them and say, okay, hold on. Yes, what would you like? Right? Like, and this is sort of how we're trying to get God's attention. God, did you see? Can you hear me? If you ever start prayers with God, if you're out there, like this is that, or, or um, just this sense of, of God be with me now, as if he wasn't with you, you're just not sure. You, you sort of have this veiled feeling that he's far away. And, and this is sort of the idea, this comes from the ancient pagan um, views of, of the deities, uh, these lofty figures, they, they may or may not be listening, he or she may, may or may not be inclined to do very much about us or the world, um, even if they want to, they may care, they may not care. In the ancient world, this is how people practiced prayer. Um, all you had to do was send off a message like a marooned sailor, scribbling in a note and putting it in a bottle and chucking it into the sky, like trying to get God's attention to read and come and, and, and intervene in some way in the off chance that someone out there might somehow hear and help you. And sometimes our prayers feel like this, and, and to be honest with you, 
when prayer feels like this, it feels desperate, and it, it's not comforting, it's not a sense of peace. It's, it's, it comes from a state of feeling like you are alone. That's where it comes from. And we develop oftentimes, because we, we feel like maybe, maybe God's not listening, and so we develop this form of, of ritual or religious act to get someone's attention across this great void. And so perhaps there's a way that we can pray that's, that's more likely to get God's attention. And so people write all kinds of books about, if you pray like this, or you pray like this. When I was younger, um, in, the, in the early 90s, there was this book called The Prayer of Jabez. Remember that? And it was this way of getting riches. That's all you got to do. It's this obscure passage where this guy says, God, uh, expand my coast. And, and, and if you pray that God will expand your coast every day, you'll get more coast. And by that, I mean like money. Um, and that's what Americans pray for. That's what we want. We're addicted to the stuff. This is all we want. This is what our pursuits are about. And so, of course, there's, this book sold millions of copies. It's, it was really sort of a, it was, it was one of the, it's another sort of marker and like an unveiling of what, of what modern Christianity um, oftentimes is becoming. Um, it's about power and money and, and, and coercing masses of people to do, to get on our agenda. Um, and so perhaps we think there's a way that we can pray in a way that'll get his attention. And this, this shows up in weird ways. So I remember um, in, uh, so in 99, I was actually at, um, I actually went to Liberty University back in 99, um, of all places, and I, and I was there, and I was in line at a subway one night, because you've got to get your sandwich, um, and I, this, this, you can sometimes, like, when a large person walks in, like, like someone who's tall, and, like, you, you kind of feel it. Like, like, there's this shadow that sort of casts, and I, like, I felt somebody big come in, and I turned around. It's Jerry Falwell Sr., and he's huge. He's, like, this tall. And he's got this voice, he's like, hello. He's talking to everyone in the room. And he starts greeting the people, and he knows everybody's name in the room. He's like, hello, Margaret. She's a girl making the sandwiches. She's like, hi, Jerry. And they're talking and everything. And, and the interesting thing was, as people started, they, people started getting up from their, in their booths and stuff, and they started coming over to Jerry Falwell. I'd never seen the guy. I never talked to the guy. Started talking to him. This is Jerry Falwell Sr., not, not Junior. He died many years ago. Um, and these people come up to him, and they were like, uh, Mr. Falwell, I need you to pray for my mom. She's going through this. Oh, I need you to pray for my sister. She's going through this. I need you to pray for my son. He's really struggling with this. And, and there's this religious figure here, a well-known, the founder of, uh, what was it called, The Moral Majority, and, and he's always on like Bill Maher's show debating back and forth, and people look at him as like this big leader of their, of their movement. And so, obviously, the thinking goes that he's closer to God, and so if I can get my prayers to him, and if he can shoot them up, They'll get there because I'm way down here and I'm a mess and I'm a sinner and I have all this guilt and shame. Why in the world would God ever draw near and hear anything I have to say? But oh my goodness, there's Jerry Falwell. He's got to be close to God. And so you run up to Jerry Falwell and you say, Jer Bear, please. <laughs> Send it up, please. He listens to you and he doesn't listen to me. What should have happened in that moment is the whole thing should have shut down. And there should have been this conversation about why would you ever think that God has not heard and is not aware of your situation? Why would you think that I can get it any closer than you? I would say God's probably more likely with you than, than with me. And this is just one of those things. It, this is pagan prayer, and we don't realize it. We're trying to call across the void. Um... I think actually a, a sign of, of a room full of people that is relatively healthy is that 
is that they, they pray with each other. That they don't go straight to the people at the top and say, I need you to pray for this. Like, I'm definitely willing to. I want to pray with you, but understand, my prayers are no more impactful than yours. Oftentimes, less so. Um, this is a kind of, of, of pagan prayer that people practice. Um, Plato practiced this, and he, he says it like this, I give in order that you might give to me. And this is what we do. Father, if you just give me this one thing, I swear, everything will be different. God's like, first off, no, it won't. Second, okay. You know, like, we try to make these deals with God to change God, to change God. To, to, and, and, and we never ask a lot of questions about understanding or, or being formed. Instead, we've been sort of saddled with this desperation in our prayers. And I get it. And if that's you, I, I want to free you from that. I'm, I'm sorry that that's your construct. I want to work with you to free yourself from that. I want you to know that God is with you the whole time, always there, present, working with you, speaking to you, hoping that you will hear and listen. Um, We think maybe if we live up to some moral standard, we will earn God's ear and and he will get on our agenda. And it's oftentimes coupled with this warning that if we we fail morally, somehow somehow God can't hear your prayers or you can expect a negative answer. Why? Because you sinned. God can't, I literally have heard preachers say, God doesn't hear the prayers of the sinner. That's all God hears. I mean, who's not a sinner? That's all God hears. It's all of us. Every one of us. Um, And so I I, I really do, I want to set you free from this performance-based prayer relationship with the divine. Throw that out. Be free. Be free of that. Um, Another kind of prayer that we, by the way, like this kind of prayer is very prominent in evangelical fundamentalist circles as I have just shown. The, this next kind of prayer is, is on the opposite end of the spectrum. This is, this is um, uh, what we would call a pantheistic prayer. A pantheistic prayer uh, can be defined, sort of described as like divinity is everywhere and I just simply have to get in touch with it. That it's, it's in the trees, it's in the podium, it's in the air, it's in everything, it's in the sky, it's in the stars, um, it's in me and, and all I have to do is close my eyes in peace and get in touch with it. And breathe deep. Um, and this is a view that has its roots in the Greek pantheon of gods. They were believed to be all around us, even within us. In this view, prayer is simply getting in tune with the deepest realities of the world and oneself. Um, divinity is everywhere, including within me. And prayer is therefore, it's not so much addressing someone else who lives somewhere else, but it's, it's discovering and getting in tune with this inner truth and life that are to be found deep within our own hearts, within the silent rhythms of the world around us. This is how N.T. Wright describes this. Um, I'll say this, it might, it's actually, I, I believe this kind of prayer is slightly healthier than pagan prayer, but it's no more Christian, it's really not. Um, it's, it's better for your self-esteem, for sure, but it's not more Christian. It's, it's no more Christian than anything else. Um, it, it's, uh, it's very prominent in progressive churches, it's very, uh, in, in, in very liberal churches who are Sort of not trying to pin down anything, but just trying to, trying to be. Um, and so there's two. You got you go from pagan prayer to this pantheistic prayer um, on these other sides. But neither of these things are what the Christians were doing. Um, pantheistic prayer is more like the clockmaker, right? Like some, God, God is a clockmaker who made the clock, wound it up, and and let it go, and has stepped back. But he doesn't really intervene. And so in pantheistic prayer, your your goal is to under accept the clock and the rate of its ticking, and the alarms that are set, and when it will end, and just accept all of it, and be at peace, and move forward. But like, 
It's not asking any questions about what Jesus is doing around you. It's not asking about what's going on in your heart. It's not asking God to form you in any way. You're just trying to be sort of stoic, if you will. This is stoicism. It's your, what are the same fight club? You're calm as a Hindu cow, no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get. You're just calm. Like you're not afraid. Um, and so that, none, neither of these are Christian prayer. What is Christian prayer? Christian prayer is very different. I want to start with, with a quote. Christian prayer is about something, is about standing at the fault line, holding heaven and earth together like someone trying to tie together two pieces of rope with people tugging at the other end to pull it apart. It's, it's the visual, oh, oh here, I, I, drew, I drew it badly. It's, you're standing, haven't, I haven't debuted a, a Tommy sketch in probably a year and a half. Um, and so it, it's, you, you've, got, you've got heaven on one end, you've got earth on the other end, and, and, and you're trying to pull them together. And you're holding, you, are, you are trying to bring these two things together. In my mind, this makes sense. And in my mind, this is why prayer is just so hard. That's why, that's why it feels so difficult sometimes to pray because these heaven and earth seem so far apart, especially in weeks like this when everyone is tearing each other apart and Christians are just jumping in and swinging just like everyone else. And you can look at a sea of people fighting and you can't even, you can't even tell the Jesus followers in the midst of the crowd. But prayer snaps us out of this. It understands that there are two worlds and that God is pulling them together. This is the Lord's prayer. This is what he's praying about. And so this is very different from asking God for help to intervene in your plans. It's very different from just accepting everything the way it is and just, just floating down the river on your inner tube of life. You know, like, it's very different. Christian prayer starts from a different place. It starts with the idea that the curtain has been pulled back, the door has been opened from the other side, that God has allowed you to glimpse a world that is possible that does not yet exist and that does not come about by coercion or violence or earthly power or politics. It doesn't come about by any of that. The kingdom of God comes about by a group of people allowing themselves to be formed by the body of Christ and following and allowing themselves to be guided by his spirit and listening and watching for the kingdom of God when it is breaking through and pointing it out. If someone is telling the truth, if someone is confessing, the world jumps on them and says, we knew it, you're a terrible, horrible person, we caught you and that's why you're confessing. And the Christian says, he's confessing the kingdom of God is breaking through. Truth is being told. The smallest little things, we celebrate them. When someone doesn't return violence for violence, but instead receives it in their own flesh like Christ did, and it dies with them, and they don't return it. That is the kingdom of God breaking through. When a harsh, bitter, nasty word is, resp- is returned with Eyes of love and an open hands to embrace. The kingdom of God is breaking through. When two people who are at odds with each other stop and look at each other in the eye and begin to listen, the kingdom of God is breaking through. This is what we are after. This is what it means to pull these two things back together. This is towards the kind of world that God is making. And prayer is an attempt to pull these two things together. Our lives with the life of Christ. Our communities with the kingdom of God. This is how prayer should work. And there's all kinds of sort of like tips and methods and strategies for how to get your mindset in this place. This is what church history is filled with. We're going to talk about apophatic prayer and meditative prayer and collect prayers. We're going to talk about all this stuff, the things the church has developed over the years. I mean, 
we all tend to think it's one thing, Christ, Jesus, Christianity, religion. We think these are all the same thing. They're really not. These are little pieces and they are formed in community. Jesus Christ is our king. We are his people, okay? Christianity, though, um, is Christianity is what flows out of our understanding that Christ is Lord and understand and trying to get like trying to figure out what does that mean for the life that I live right now in, in Seminole Heights in Tampa. Christianity says, okay, if Jesus is Lord of everything, if Jesus is king, what does that mean for my life if he is Lord over me in my life? And what what does that say about me and how I view other people? And all? that's what Christianity is. Religion is the rituals that we come up with to support our Christianity, okay? But what we end up doing is, is fighting and bickering and debating Christianity and religion and ignoring Jesus. These things flow out of that. And that is where we're supposed to get to. And so we collectively come together and we ask questions about what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord over our lives here and we practice, we form a Christianity that supports the life that we believe God is, is calling us to here, the kingdom of God that God is establishing here, and we order our lives around these things, and, and the things that work well, we, after a while you find certain things, certain practices. We have found doing communion this way forms us. It forms us in a way that is better. So this method of doing communion, we do communion because we're Christians. We do it this way. Because that is a form of religion that we, that, that it's, it's, it's one of the practices of our religion that we have found forms us well in our Christianity, in our following of Jesus. You see how this works? What does it take to become a Christian? All it is is, it's, it's all right there in the Nicene Creed. It's an acceptance and understanding and a submission to who, who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, who the Father is, and who we are as the church. If you read the Apostles' Creed, it's all there. That is what it means um, to understand what Jesus was teaching us. All the rest of it, we build together. Which is why we must be very careful not to default to culture. We must make the spirit of God and Jesus the center of the whole thing. So in Christianity, prayer came of age. In the Jewish world, before Christ, in the ancient Israelite mindset, Prayer had a lot to do with trying to figure out what exactly God wants. And so they would meditate upon the law. They would pray these prayers. They would tell these stories. They would read the text out loud. They would sing it, actually. They wouldn't just read it out loud. It was always kind of a song. And people could memorize it. And what they're doing is they're, trying to, they're retelling their history because God is found in their history. It's sort of a histor- historiography, you would call it. And you would look at it and say, well, we did this, and it went this way. Then we did this, and, and God blessed that. And so they're sort of trying to guess and figure out what God wants. You have these words of the, of, the, of, the, of the prophets coming in. You have Isaiah and Elijah. And sometimes they seem to be having debates, and sometimes they don't. And so there's all kinds of things happening in the text. And suddenly we have Jesus, and it all falls away. And we realize, oh, we have one person who is the embodiment of the whole thing, of God. And so in Christianity, prayer comes of age because now we know, because we have Jesus, we know what God is like and what God wants. We know that if God created us back in Genesis to be his images, his imago Dei, his idols, that if, if Jesus is the true imago Dei, then that's exactly what our lives should look like. And so that old stupid slogan, what would Jesus do? That's actually pretty legit. That's exactly the question we should be asking all the time about our lives. By the way, 
Last week, I found an old What Would Jesus Do bracelet in the back of my car in a Bible that I had when I was a teenager. My wife tells me I should put it on and wear it, just to be ironic or something, I don't know. Um, but no, like, that is what it means. So, so in, in Christianity, prayer came of age because suddenly we have, we have this visual, we have this understanding of where God is taking the world. And now that we have that, we know how to pray. Our prayer should form us for that mission. That is what we are praying for. That is what we are focusing on. Heaven and earth came together where Jesus walked, where he hung on the cross, where he healed, where he stood, teaching after after resurrection. Heaven and earth came together in Jesus. Now, before Jesus, heaven and earth came together many other times. In the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth came together. Uh, Mount Sinai, heaven and earth came together. The law was given. The tabernacle, heaven and earth comes together. The temple, heaven and earth comes together. And the last, and then we have Jesus. Heaven and earth comes together in Jesus. And it is always one thing after the next and God moving it closer and closer and closer to us. And now we can see it. And then upon the ascension of Jesus, of course, Jesus can't stay because God has one more plan. And then what God does is he actually forms a church, the body of Christ. And he says, now, everything that has been where heaven and earth came together, you, watermark, heaven and earth comes together right here. And if we don't grasp that, we will never really be a true church. Heaven and earth comes together right here. America has no part in it. In fact, in order for the kingdom of God to be established, I kind of understand that every other earth, every other nation of the world will go through its rituals and they will rise and they will fall and they will rise and they will fall. The kingdom of God will begin to keep spreading and this rule of goodness and peace will continue to spread and this is, this is what our prayer should be centered upon. This is where it is all heading. That eventually it's just the kingdom of God. Not because anyone coerced it or forced it, because it's just so beautiful. And so, in the Old Testament, it was sort of more like putting together a puzzle, trying to get a picture of God. We have the box. We have Jesus. And, and, and just cheaters like me who like to, when we do a puzzle, put the box up and look at it and be like, yep, that goes here. Yep, that goes here. And this, I like that as well. With Jesus. I can look at Jesus and I can say, okay, I, I, know, I, I, know, I know what I'm doing. I know what this is about. And so in Christianity, again, prayer comes of age, which is, which is why Christian prayer is not the same as Greek prayer, Epicurean prayer, Jewish prayer, Islamic prayer. Christian prayer is very specific. It is very different. Heaven and earth came together where Jesus walked. Living as a Christian means living in a world as it has been reshaped by and around Jesus and his spirit. That is what it means to live as a Christian in the world. All of this means that Christian prayer is very different. It's different from getting in touch with the inwardness of nature. It's different than sending out messages across a lonely void, like a message in a bottle. Christian prayer is about standing at the fault line, like Christ, and, 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 and holding these two things and pulling as hard as you can to pull your world and God's world together. And every day, as we pray, as we seek God, as we are formed by Christ, as we live a life that is cross-shaped, we draw them closer and closer together. So how do we do this? How do we pray? How do we not do this? Is there a right way and a wrong way? I, I mean, there is, I would say, there is a wrong way. I mean, the, 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 James mentions this. Um, James literally in 4.3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's saying, you're, you're trying to fashion God in your image, which we're very good at this. Um, and when you do this, you pray wrongly. And, and, and that's why it doesn't seem to have any impact on your life. Um, yeah, God hears you. God knows what you're going through. 
Um, if you allow yourself to be formed by prayer, I think you will actually find what you're looking for. Uh, to pray correctly is to pray in submission to what God is doing in your life and in your world. It's bringing everything, to, everything that you are to God. It's bringing your hopes and your fears and your desires and the things that you are excited about and offering them in the service of his kingdom. Here's what I've got. Here's what I know you're doing. Here's what I've got. Make me useful. Help me see what you're doing around me today in the places I go, in the restaurants I visit, in, in, in the life of my server or the busboy or the... Or, the, or, or my work, my coworkers, or whatever is happening, what are you doing? Help me to see it and, and use what I bring to the table that you have given me, my gifts. Help me use these in your kingdom. And in this way, we find joy, we find grace, we find love and community. Um, it's asking that in the midst of your own kingdom, because we are, we're all building a little kingdom here, aren't we? Like this is what we, all, we all are trying to build something because God has made us in this way. We all, for some reason, take God's world and we want to shape it. That is a gift of God. We're the only creatures in the world really doing this, shaping the world. It's a gift of God, and all God is asking is that you will begin to ask questions about what it means to shape it in in the image of Christ, not you. And so, next week, like I said, I'm going to lay out several different versions of prayer, uh, collects and contemplative and apophatic and verbal petitionary prayer and all this. There are, there are all kinds of ways that the church has developed healthy modes of prayer, but I want to leave you today with, with one practice uh, this week, and, and I want you to sort of come back together next week to talk about this. And the practice that I have for you, um, hold on a second. Um, these practices, they're great to talk about in the house church and all that, but um, there's this book by Michael Frost, uh, and it was great. I, it's called The Road to Missional. I read it probably a decade ago, but in this, in this book, he talks about, there's this one chapter where he talks about sort of life as a movie trailer. You know, when you go to a movie and, and, and they have all these trailers, and I wish they would just tell you what time the actual movie's going to start, but whatever. Um, but you get there and, and you watch all the trailers and you watch them all play through, and after each trailer, everyone leans over and they say, I do not want to see that. That looks terrible. Or, I want to see that, okay? And they're making, they see a little snippet of something and they make a judgment call about, I want to see it or I don't want to see it or all that. Um, and Michael Frost describes the Christian life a little bit like a movie trailer for the kingdom. The, 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 the trailer is a taste of what is coming and it's present in a way that you want more of it. It's, if the trailer is effective, the people in the, in, in the theater say, wow, yes, I, I can't wait to take part in that. I, I, I want to see that, and they, they anticipate it, look forward to it. And it's a great metaphor for the Christian life, because it, it, if, it's, if, it's, if it's your life, if you're living a life that is, that is Christ-like, then it will have the fruits of the Spirit growing all over it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. People are drawn to this. They see it, and they're like, where are you from? Where did this come from? How can I be like you? You say, well, you don't want to be like me. I'm trying to be like Jesus. This is exactly what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Don't follow me if I begin to follow the Pharisees again. Follow me as I follow Christ. We're, we're trying to draw people into that. And when they see it, they're drawn in. I want to see that. Like, I want to experience a world like that. We all do. That's what this is all about. We're trying to experience the world that Jesus is promising us that is coming. And he has chosen to open the doors and allow us to help build it. And it's a gift. And it's a life-giving gift. It is what we were created to do. And you don't understand it until you actually take part in it. Until you actually 
until you actually take part in the healing of someone's life, till a marriage is healed, till a family is reunited, till people are brought back together, until two angry opposites see each other in the image of God and are drawn in in a way that sees each other no longer as enemies, but as brothers and sisters. And when you see it, you can't get enough of it. And when you experience it, it changes everything about you. This is what God is drawing you into through your prayer life. Your life is already an ad right now for all kinds of things, all of you. Your life is an ad for all kinds of things. And you know this, brands, politicians, conservatism, liberalism, subcultures, your own aspirations, your own dreams. Um, You're all sort of putting off this sort of vibe is the word word everyone's using. Uh, You're putting off this vibe for everyone to see and be like, oh, that's impressive. We're all advertising something. We all are. We're all trying to draw people into something. But the question I kind of have is, if everyone followed the road to where you are leading them, if everyone began to be your disciple and just do exactly what you're doing, would they become more Christ-like or less Christ-like? Would they, would they be drawn into the kingdom or would they just stay the same citizens in the same empire doing the same things that everyone else is doing? If, if, if people began to pick up what you're putting down, like if they began to follow it, where would it lead them? And here's my challenge. I want you to spend this week praying that your life will, will invoke God's future, not yours. Just for a week. Um, instead of praying that for the defeat of your enemies, pray that you will find some way to love them tangibly. Not just support, tangible, actual love for your enemies. Something that improves the state of their life, their health, their spirituality, all of it. Um, pray that instead of, yeah, instead of praying for the defeat of your enemies, pray that you will find some way to love them tangibly. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. Loving your enemies isn't about thinking nice things about them. It's not about, it's not about any of that. It's about literal actions of love that bridge the divide that they would much rather keep in place. And it's you crossing that bridge. Pray that your response to difficulty will be a display of grace and humility. Think that things that will leave people scratching their heads at you. When people treat you terribly, a a respond that begins to unwind the anger and the ideology that begins to see the human being. Remember I was at a a friend's bar not too long ago and and it was very late at night and this man comes up to me and he was very angry. And he literally took his shirt off and he walked up to me and my friends and wanted to just fight. And he was flexing and he, very muscular, very impressive actually. Um, And I'm like, okay, it's about to get punched in the face. Okay, here we go. And we're talking to the guy and I just started, I asked him, hey, do you got a wife? Do you have kids? And like, you you could see him, like his brain suddenly went to love. (laughs) And he kind of went, yeah, I got a wife. He started talking about his wife. And then he remembered he's supposed to be mad. And he put that aside and he got him back up and he got in our faces again. And I started asking him like, bro, what's happened? Like, what's going on? You need to talk to somebody. Like, what, are, you, are you having a bad day? Obviously you are. Are you having a bad life? Like, do you need help? And it, he was so disheveled that he actually just turned around and started walking away cursing at himself. There is, there is a way we can move through the world. If you, if you ask the God, like this is not something that you just, that you just pop, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna try to be Christ-like. No, this is something you have to pray for and begin to align your life with a little bit at a time, daily, daily, day after day after day after day so that when the kingdom 
of Satan rises up before you that the kingdom of God can break through. It's, it's a way, it's a posture. You allow yourself to be formed. Pray that your hands would be open to receiving whatever God's kingdom requires or to release whatever God wants you to let go of. If there's something that God wants you to hold on to, to receive, have your hands open to receive it, good or bad, and pray that you would understand how it fits in his kingdom. If something is being removed from your hands, ask God to, un- to help you understand why, why is this being taken from me? How, do, how am I supposed to make sense of this? What part does this play in your plan? I don't get it. And be honest. It's okay, by the way. I have a lot of conversations with people who are angry at God. It's okay to be angry at God. It really is. There's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. And if you read that, it's brutal. It's God, I cannot believe you did this. That was wrong and that was wrong and that was wrong. And it's somebody just letting God have it and God receives it. Not only that, God includes it in the canon of scripture so that you can have it and see it. It's okay to be mad at God. I get mad at God too. We all go through it. We all do. God wants you to... God wants you to pray it. God wants you to say it. God wants you to gather with your people and allow yourself to be healed and, and guided by him. Basically, the prayer this week is that you would begin to hold heaven, that you would just sort of be here. That you would learn to, to hold heaven and earth together in your life in a way that draws people towards you and therefore towards the body of Christ. This was the role in the Garden of Eden, Sinai, Tabernacle, Temple, Church, Jesus, and us. Start there and we'll build upon that. Can we try that? Let's pray. Father, begin to do that to us now. It's very hard to, uh, to try to bridge that gap. And people only go kicking and screaming. But I, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would guide us, that you would give us patience and generosity and grace, that we would reject the the coercion of the empire, that we would reject their pursuits of power over others. The power that we display of yours would not be power over others, but power with others. That we would pull and not push. That we would lead by example, that we would go ahead of them. That you would help us to make the path straight. Help us to move mountains that are in the way so that people can find you. I pray that if any of us are in the way, that you would move us that you would just take us out of the way, however that looks. Continue to fashion us in your image, in your name. Amen. Would you guys pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Love you all. Have an amazing week. Happy Mother's Day. Go love on your mom. Bring the kingdom of God to her house.